Boys, welcome. It's Brigham Young Money. We're back. It's been a while, and we're here to, in a full return to form. Uh, the BYU episode that re- that we released was in the bank to make up for some lost time due to marriages, due to you know active duty service in an Ogden parking lot. I'm not going to say which person on this podcast participated in one or both of those, but I'll, you know, go ahead and kick the time. (laughs) It was definitely Greg. It was definitely Greg who... I'm the troop. Yep. Got married. Uh, Yeah. So... Greg, tell us tell us how you're doing. What's new? What's uh, what's um, what's on that on that beautiful mind of yours? I don't know if I call it a, a beautiful mind, a broken mind. I think it's a little more apropos. On that broken but mind it, uh, of yours. It works. Um, you know, I'm still kind of riding a high from this weekend. We we got our our crew together in the Ogden parking lot, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we visited Jordan yeah. in the parking lot. Yeah, Doing no, we went, we went and hung out at like an actual bar and not only did I get to see my friends, I got to hug my friends for the first time in well over a year and it was, uh, that ruled. it was pretty wonderful. And then kind of snowballing off of that, I woke my ass up at five o'clock in the morning to go play basketball, like actual full court five on five basketball with other people for the first time <laughs> since March of last year. And it's a good vibe. So yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling very, very good. Um, I know things aren't exactly back to normal, nor do I think that they will be normal anytime soon, but to be able to have like at least little slices of normalcy, like being able to hug my friends and like be able to run a pick and roll is doing <laughs> wonderful things for my soul for the mental that's right jordan i assume you had a little bit worse of a weekend i slept outside <laughs> was it under the under the beautiful stars of ogden it was 34 degrees Jesus. Fuck. and windy Dude, there's is something you missed though. We were at the we were at this bar and uh this guy was playing music and he was like he's like he's just he's it was a solo dude just playing on his acoustic guitar and he was like, All right guys, I'm gonna play something a little gangster for you. And Sarah was Jesus. immediately like, It's gonna be gin and juice, it's gonna be gin and juice, and it's gonna be gin and juice. And then he's like, This one's called Gin and juice. <laughs> and <he just> played <laughs> that song on the guitar it was awesome and so funny. Rolling down I, the he street. He actually, sorry, I, I think I said that he said this was a gangster song. I think he said gangsta song. So it was with yeah. an A. Yeah, he went a little gangsta with it and played gin and juice, and it was acoustic version. Um, it was this great. Is- this is an anti-hard R podcast. That's right. That's right. In all its forms. So yeah, that was, uh, it was, it was a great, it was a great time. I played like full pickup soccer on Sunday um, with a bunch of people and it was just delightful. We played for like three hours and just, uh, it was, it was, it was great. Just, uh, feels nice that the weather is getting better and warm and it's great to be outside. And, uh, with you know with this tone that we're striking with this podcast we're obviously going to be carrying this through the entire episode and not be talking about anything that makes us want to die a little bit so nothing um, bad happened this whole week it's been wonderful i like this is, 
I know we've done like Utah's really racist episodes before, but like, and so like we were supposed to record, um, let's see last week and, uh, things came up and we, you know, we wanted to talk about Jen Shaw's arrest. We wanted to talk about Matt Gates allegedly trafficking children across state lines um, and all that went into that. Highly recommend people listen to, let's see, True and On probably did the best uh, Matt really Gates good. investigation that you could possibly do. The so Chapo if you're interested, good too. Yeah. yeah the, um, the True and On's the best one just because you get to hear about his uh, tax collector from Seminole County, Florida friend who um, staffed the department with badges, guns, and body armor. Yeah. Which is amazing for a tax uh, department of a county. I'm still blown away that Matt Gates grew up in the Truman Show house. It's it's honestly like, incredible. Of course, like that. Yeah, like <laughs> you're going to grow up fucked up, dude. <laughs> there was being... no hope for that guy in the beginning. <laughs> I know. Matt Gates and that big ass noggin of his, dude, just and like the most incredible interview on television that anyone's ever done where he goes on Tucker Carlson and basically is like. He calls this 17-year-old a woman. He claims that there are pictures that he claims that people claim there are pictures of him with minors, which no one had at that point. He made the claim that he's part of some FBI investigation and a sting operation in which his father is being mic'd up to try to... His dad um, wore a wire. His dad wore a wire to try to bust these guys who were extorting them out of helping them get some guy released from Iran. It was just the most chaotic interview. You ever. He also like pretty much named Tucker Carlson as a co-conspirator. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I, you know, you know this, you know this woman. We went to dinner before. Like, we, like you've met her. Like, and Tucker is like, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> he also was like, and you, Tucker, you yourself know what it's like to deal with these type of allegations. Just the worst. It was just a disaster. Tucker at the end, the, the interview was like, straight up was like, that was one of the weirdest interviews I've ever done. So, um, yeah, I, I just, think, yeah, not good. I think my favorite part of that interview is that it was the very first time that like Tucker Carlson's confused dog face was actually appropriate. It was very warranted. It was, like Tucker Carlson just like constantly looks like a toddler who just was told that like someone got his nose. I know. He's just like that baffled. <laughs> Jordan's doing a lot of good impressions on the video currently. Not uh, only that, but like Matt Gates. For the app. You know, if you were to get like the mashup app and you put like Butthead from Beavis and Butthead and Quagmire together. Yeah. From God. Family Guy. That is Matt Gates. Yeah. I he mean, just, he's got that like uncanny valley, like from the Sims sort of look to him. Like he just looks really like a computer does. character. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm going to call him Buttmeyer for the <laughs> rest of his life. So, <laughs> yeah. So, that, like, I mean, that's pretty much all we were going to say on the other episode. But, yeah, just incredible stuff with Matt Gates. Highly recommend people listen to the True Run episode because it is just incredible. They go deep into the whole – his claims about the uh, wearing a wire and everything and really the shenanigans Matt Gates has been up to since he was elected to Congress and before when he was in the state Senate and – all that is our state house, I guess. I'm just, I'm just imagining Matt Gates' dad as Big Pussy Salvatore. <laughs> Dude, you'd be perfect. They, they would be great together. 
but just if big pussy Salvatore grew up or was also raising his family in the Truman Show house (laughs) and in Florida. So in another life, in in another world where he doesn't actually get got by Tony and he uh, he escapes under the witness protection program. That's how he wrote. He raised Matt Gates. (laughs) That is how I will choose to remember Matt Gates. (laughs) Yeah. So. Okay, so let's talk about some of the things that's been that's been going on in in Utah. And turns out that racism is back in the news, folks. Um, And it's here. It's here to stay. And there's been this like it's I mean, obviously, there's a a lot of just, uh, you know, there's plenty to talk about when it comes to people in Utah and their brand of racism, especially when it comes to uh, sports fans, it seems. Um, but something came up where our dear, beloved, sweet, bald testicle boy, Spencer Cox, he was doing a radio show in which he was just like randomly taking audience questions, I suppose. And he got like 17 questions all from dudes named David from different parts of the state. Literally, they were all named David. Don't understand what was going on there. But David from Highland, I think it was, decided to ask him about Ryan Smith's Utah Jazz Scholarship Program. And as a refresher, this program is Ryan Smith committed to giving a single full-ride scholarship to um, a minority child in a disadvantaged background, I suppose, um, for every time the Jazz win a game. So... I would like to talk about that a little bit after this, but, um, you know, and, and what that really means and looks like, but, uh, Spencer Cox was on a radio show and he was asked about this scholarship program and he was asked if it was racist against white people. Well, I, it was more of a declarative statement and it was like, why do you support the racist, uh, scholarship program that the jazz are doing? And Spencer Cox said, this is not racist. And he received like the most comical amount of, of right wing verbal violence from like the the greatest host of characters I've ever seen. Like one of the best ones was um, was Fox News's Tucker Carlson, who we were just talking about, and he accused the he also called this program as racist, and he accused Cox of being of of tribalism, and he said it should be illegal. But Spencer Cox, the Republican governor of Utah, is totally fine with it. <laughs> What is shocking and really dispiriting is when you see it from a Republican. And like in Spencer Cox went on Twitter to defend himself against all of these things. Because Um, of course he did. Of course he did. And it it is pretty funny that like and really fucking sad that we have this connection between Spencer Cox and the jazz that we're never going to be able to escape because he just has tried to ingrain himself into jazz Twitter and successfully has done so over the years. Um, but like in those replies, like we had Mike Cernovich in there. We had Ian Miles Chong, our favorite Malaysian basement dweller incel dude who uh, just they were just losing their shit about this scholarship program for for like black and brown kids trying to go to, to college. And I mean, the first mistake of all of it was going on KSL to begin with, because when you go on like KSL news on the radio, the only people you're going to be taking like calls from are pretty much just all of our dads. Exactly. Who the fuck listens to KSL radio other than all of our like dads? White dads. Yep. Yeah. It's white dads. <laughs> it's white dads. <laughs> Which um, 
I am busy tomorrow from about uh, 8 a.m. to about 6 p.m. I will be listening to KSL. Please <laughs> do not bother me. Hey, listen, yeah. Doug Wright has some good points. You have to listen to every now and then. I mean, wait, did he retire? I don't know. I haven't listened to like <laughs> KSL radio since like my grandparents were alive. So Traffic every 10 minutes on the hour. I never leave my house, but I absolutely have to know what's going on. All times on I-80, I-15, 215, and the 201. That's honestly the only time I ever listen to KSL is like if I'm stuck in traffic on I-15, like this is bullshit. What is going on? <laughs> yeah. Or if yeah. like BYU's down 30 and I just want to hear Greg Rebell about to cry. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the Jazz obviously made a statement that said, you know, uh, people of color are upper, underrepresented in the classroom and workforce. And the goal of the award is to directly help. Uh, or to, to directly address these gaps by providing scholarships to students of color who have historically received fewer resources and less support. Like, yeah, uh, quite the concept there. I mean, like taking issue with a scholarship program like this is just, I, I mean, it's, it's just embarrassing. But we see this like consistent theme of, you know, this like trying to bait them into this type of thing and then you, you have the normal jazz journalists like you know andy larson tony jones eric walden uh you know like our friend sarah as well who are like you know just simply reporting of what's going on and then they get in these like week-long arguments with just a shit ton of shitbirds in their replies just having these just senseless arguments forever about how, well, actually, Martin Luther King said we shouldn't judge people on the merit on the color of their skin, but the mer their merits of the blah, 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 blah. And like that bring that's get that quote gets brought up every single fucking time this happens. And that, that that's not judging people on their merits. That's judging people on their skin color it gets brought up every single fucking time. We have the same conversation every single time this happens. And it's the same cast of characters. It's the same rotating people that say that claim they are just done with the NBA forever, that are done with the jazz forever. But then they're back in the replies of Andy Larson trying to fight him over over this shit every single time. And it's just I mean, this is going to come up again here in a few minutes when we talk about something else. But it's just like it's so exhausting <laughs> that we have to keep having this just absurdly ridiculous, useless conversation with people who purposely are are just trying not to get it oh it really is i mean you think about it too like there is kind of a discussion ahead about this like you can say some of the fact of like it's kind of fucked up that we make like people from marginalized communities go hat in hand to a billionaire yeah to to commit mm -hmm. some sort of like a uh, oppression olympics trying to get a scholarship for higher education which is absolutely insane but that's the way our country's kind of established yeah. i mean I mean, you could say to these people, too, like, well, do you want if you're so worried about like white, poor children getting college education, do you think that we should just make college education free for everybody? And if you ask them that, they would freak the fuck out <laughs> because that's, that's socialism and that's bad. Yeah. But I think that's one of my favorite uh, things about this. You know, we talk a lot about hypocrisy and double standards, but these are like all the same type of people who if like – us three were criticizing, I don't know, fucking Elon Musk for, I don't know, blowing up a car in a tunnel in Las Vegas or some dumb bullshit. 
You mean making a car tunnel with no possible escape in case of fire? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Cars that famously explode are perfect for this tunnel. And the the famous argument there is, well, it's Elon Musk's money. He can do whatever he wants with it. But the second that like it, that, that doesn't fall into their box or doesn't, I don't know. Another billionaire does something with his money that they don't like, then it no longer qualifies. Yeah. Like, I mean, Ryan Smith is doing as a billionaire is doing quite literally the bare minimum with with that type of money that he's that type of wealth he's accumulated where he is not an idiot and can clearly see and is and is able to look through this country's history more than a goddamn like two days and can can understand why there's a disparity with uh with people of color going to college like it's not doesn't take a goddamn genius to understand you know what's been going on and why that's a thing like there are people there are plenty of people who are still alive that lived through the jim the jim crow era and if anyone knows a goddamn thing about how wealth is accumulated in this country it should not be any surprise why you know we're in the situation we're in with these type of disparities so with with you know ryan smith wanting to earn uh your I guess it, it, probably for him, you know, it's it's good publicity for him, especially. But I, I again, tying tying scholarships to a sports team winning games is kind of a bit too like puppeteery. Uh, I don't really like that. And there's a discussion to be had. Definitely. I mean, like Jordan said, like the answer here is that there should be free higher education for anyone who wants it. And yeah. at minimum, the state school should be free. And I think we should abolish the Ivy league, but um, yeah, like there should be a free higher education option for literally everyone in this, in this country. And yet I highly doubt the people who are crying this hard about this would be anywhere closely supportive of something like that. Yeah, it really is amazing that the only time that people on the right can adopt a class dialectic is when they think black people are getting one over on them. <laughs> exactly, yeah. dude. Yep. Oh, my God. And it's the same thing with like police violence, too, where they go like, well, white people get shot by the police, too. It's like, yeah, because police <laughs> are pretty much there to enforce social hierarchies, and that includes race. Yeah. yeah, sounds like yeah. another really good example of a, of abolishment and why we should abolish police. Yeah, the the police one really is interesting. Like I've I've heard that from like my own family member, family members, I guess, um, who have said something like like you know, like how is how are these police killings examples of racism when they kill more white people? I'm like. Why is the next question that you ask is why do they kill so many white people too? It's like, what are we talking about here? Like, do you do you like that they kill white people? I don't understand. Like, is every police killing justified? And we will talk about the Derek Chauvin trial in a sec, but but goddamn. So literally the day after this whole saga happens with Spencer Cox and talking about, um, you know, where he's going to bat for just a very tepid scholarship program that's going to give away at most uh like at this point uh, how many wins are the jazz on track for 44 oh they have 44 so far but they're probably in track so for like probably 55 55 scholarships i mean that's good for for those kids i'm i i'm glad that they're gonna get that opportunity and this is the most tepid mild form of uh social help 
um, that could really be given by someone with as much wealth as, as Ryan Smith has. But um, literally the day after, we just get this completely random uh, announcement that Dwayne Wade is joining the Utah Jazz ownership group and is going to have an ownership stake, which um, is, is <laughs> as a fan of Dwayne Wade, I was like, I'm like, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I like Dwayne Wade a lot. I'd like um, I like him. I would I he clearly has a he's had a really good relationship with Donovan Mitchell. I really like that. I think that might keep uh, Donovan around longer than he maybe he might otherwise. Um, and I think Dwayne Wade's cool. And I <laughs> and that's that was pretty much the extent of of uh, my analysis. Um, but should we maybe go through that that article that we were talking about earlier today? Oh, the the Drew Maggery one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, we probably should, do should. That real quick. But there's one good thing about Dwayne Wade coming to the Jazz that I do appreciate, and it's it would have never happened under the Millers. Oh, absolutely. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean this this certainly raises our our uh, profile a little bit, like in a way that the Millers would never want to. Uh... But like Greg, I know you in particular have a, have a lot of thoughts about this, and I really appreciated both your perspective on this because I mean, for me especially, I'm just like like I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of people who uh, you know are really concerned about the image that the Utah Jazz have, and there's a lot of well-meaning people who think you know that there is race there is a racism problem not only in Utah but really. Um, with this fan base and how they interact with, you know, players, especially players of, of opposing teams. Um, and I think there are, might be, are, there might be some people, you know, banking a little too hard on this, that this might be, you know, uh, doing a lot of heavy lifting for us that it really shouldn't be. Racism's over folks. I mean, just look at the response to everyone right, right when it was announced that Dwayne Wade joined the Jazz. I mean, every single person, not only in the Jazz, but also in like the state government, pretty much just like cling to him like he was the last chopper out of Nam. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and there's only one good reason for that, too. It's not that they, they think that he's going to make the jazz better. It's that they, he's pretty much going to launder like the entire tepid history of the Utah jazz, especially when it comes to race. We're going to get it's going to be like the Obama era all over again. It's like, how can racism exist when we have a black president? Every game will be the beer summit. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that like that bothers me the most, because what's being reported is like the the big initiative as to why Dwayne Wade was brought into the fold was to try to change the perception of Utah, the Utah Jazz, Utah Jazz fans. Um, and if that's the case, I think it's it's, you know, call me a cynic, um, call me a Debbie Downer. But I just don't see how this is anything other than a completely failed attempt. Like, yes, bringing Dwayne Wade in is a positive thing in the aspect that like, yeah, you might now like be able to land a free agent that you otherwise would not have. But when it comes to actually changing perception, you really cannot change perspective perception unless you change culture and bringing Dwayne Wade into the fold is not going to undo decades of ultra conservative racism, ultra conservative bigotry, like 
crazy religious zealots. And if anything, like like Jordan said, he becomes a way for folks in power to launder their bullshit. But Greg, is there anything in the last 48 hours that would have possibly shown that that did not be true? <laughs> I think we're going to get there. We might. I think so. So um, there's this piece in, in SF Gate by Drew Maggery and... Um, he, the title of this article is Don't Let Utah Jazz Majority Owner Ryan Smith or ESPN Use Dwayne Wade as a Glorified PR Flag. Um, and he, this is Drew, Drew Magri on the hot new billionaire trend of buying a sports team and then hiding behind a famous friend. This will be the first and last time I, I owe Alex Rodriguez an apology. Just over a week ago, A-Rod and billionaire Mark Lore stuck, struck a deal to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm so used to famous people owning a vanity minority stake in a pro franchise. I was like, A-Rod's not going to own jack shit. This Lore guy will just call all the shots. I was mistaken. According to The Athletic, A-Rod's stake in the T-Wolves will be an even 50%. Does this mean the T-Wolves will be good one day? No. Come on. Don't be an idiot. But at least A-Rod will be one of the few famous owners who does own his team. Owners like this are not easy to find what you often find instead are celebrities who appear to own a team but are in actuality recruited to serve as glorified press secretaries for far worse people miami heat Dwayne Dwayne wade just became one of these phantom owners buying an unknown stake in the utah jazz who are principally owned by ryan smith you already know who Dwayne wade is if you don't then you clicked on this article by, by mistake um, so allow me to acquaint you to Ryan Smith. Ryan Smith rate made, made his billion plus by starting a company called Qualtrics with his old man. Qualtrics traffics in quote solutions. That word should already serve as a warning to you of data-based metrics and tools for businesses looking to retain customers, predict market needs. And this is the important one, quote, improve productivity. We all want our employees to work more efficiently, don't we folks? Well, in the case of Qualtrics, that means expanding employee surveillance to the point where they have cameras stationed at your office's fucking water cooler. So that's not a lie and also uh, not an exaggeration at all. And I think we are also going to be doing a Ryan Smith uh, episode mm -hmm. at some point and a lot about Qualtrics because we learned a lot about Qualtrics today after reading through this article and I did not know what the hell they were doing. Um, but they, you know, he goes on to talk about how Qualtrics was hired by Cambridge Analytica at a certain point to like spy on a bunch of people. Um, just a, a bunch of weird shit uh, that is just it's it's worthy of another discussion that I don't really want to focus on in this one. But um, he he does talk about like, you know, how Ryan Smith has made his money. And Ryan Smith is obviously like one of these he's he's cut from the same cloth of these like kind of like more woke billionaire type guys who, you know, speak game when it comes to you know inclusivity and racial justice and all of that but then you know when it comes to uh labor and how people work in these companies that he is um you know has created it's it's pretty creepy and bad so but he does believe in yeah, Ryan Smith is cut from the same cloth as like the Tim Cook of being like very woke with Apple but still requiring suicide nets on your factories yes yeah fucking exactly that and so just, and speaking yeah. i speak as someone with insider knowledge um one ryan never started the company with his his dad his dad <clears throat> started everything and created the technology he inherited the company like he is a classic case study yeah. of nepotism and b i can 
again, completely 100% reassure everyone uh, about the exploitation of labor because Qualtrics pays like dog shit. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I... I don't think we're under any illusions here when it comes to billionaire sports owners. And there's clearly a scale of these type of guys. Like when it comes to owning these sports franchises, like our pick of the litter is not going to be a good one. Um, and there is a scale on these things. And I think, you know, if, if I had, if I had to pick, it's tough. Like I, I'm, I think he's probably going to be a better owner for the jazz than the Millers were. Um, but you know, like, I don't think we should be under any, uh, illusions of what, like, you know, these type of people actually are like these, they're still oligarchic and in how they behave and how they run their companies and, um, and all of this. So, you know, we might reap benefits at certain points throughout this, um, this ownership stake in like, you know, his, his tenure as being a Utah jazz owner, who, however long that lasts, maybe forever, um, until goddamn apocalypse. But, uh, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't lie to ourselves about like, you know, who, who he is, uh, because he can say the right things. But anyway. Yeah. The only difference between all of these are, is just what scale of benevolence they have towards us, but they're still right. our overlords of capitalism. So that's right. Yeah. No matter we, what, they still rule you. Yeah, we live in a society here. Uh, Qualtrics made Ryan Smith enough money to buy the NBA team with the most racist fan base in the sport. Ask any player. Facts. A franchise in dire need of an image overhaul. So Facts. it clearly behooved Smith to recruit a beloved figure like Dwayne Wade to become an owner alongside him. Owner in quotes there. Even though Wade's ownership stake has not been disclosed and will almost certainly be minuscule, no matter. Villains living on the margins need heroes stationed alongside them, and already Wade's involvement with the Jazz is paying off for, off for Smith far more than it'll ever pay off for Wade. When the news broke last week, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, who is very picky about whose boots he licks, gave the transaction a shine that you could see a fucking vampire's reflection in. Wade described a synergy to Smith's progressive vision of transforming the Jazz's success on the court, including a league-leading 41-14 and 14 record into becoming a cultural leader in the community and state. Beyond Smith's lifelong love of the jazz and basketball, his devotion to social causes made the organization an easy sell to Wade. Smith has embraced the Black Lives Matter movement, publicly supporting his players on those issues. He sure did. Why, just last year, Smith pledged to match any of his employees' contributions to BLM. Why wouldn't Smith just donate a bunch of money himself instead of going you first to the people working for him? Well, presumably it's because he has data to collect on them. <laughs> Do you think new owner Wade will speak out about the Qualtrics business model? Do you think he'll pressure Smith to run a business in a way that's not so morally elastic? Fuck no, he won't. Wade is all sunshine about the partnership, telling Woj, this goes way beyond the dream I had to just play basketball in the NBA. I've seen Shaq do it in Sacramento. I've seen Grant Hill do it in Atlanta. I've seen Jordan do it in Charlotte. Let's hit the enhance button there for a moment. Shaquille O'Neal's ownership stake in the Sacramento Kings is less than 5%. The Kings' main owner is Vivek Ranadive, a perpetual laughingstock whose latest innovation is offering to pay his workers in Bitcoin. Shaq's chief contribution <laughs> to the Kings. Oh, there's also a really funny thing with uh, Matt Gates and his business partner who also was his like uh, preying on young girls partner who was trying to make it so you could pay your taxes in Florida in Bitcoin, which is... Anyway, and also um, burned down a municipal building trying to mine Bitcoin, too. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Jesus. 
Uh, let's see. Shaq's chief contribution to the Kings during his tenure has been touting their new arena, which Shaq has done with his characteristic, char- characteristic charm and originality. I've seen the arena plans. I don't know if they've talked to you about the plans, but woo-wee. That's all I can say. Woo-wee. And you know what? That's our new slogan. Sacramento, woo-wee. Yet another great that's Shaq a Trump quote. quote, right? Yeah. For another great Shaq <laughs> quote for Candace Parker to roll her eyes at. Me- meanwhile, Grant Hill doesn't really own the Atlanta Hawks, a team with its own recent history of bigotry. That team is now run by private equity shitbag Tony Wrestler, who added Hill to his ownership group and has since kept Hill's share in that group undisclosed. Michael Jordan is the rare celebrity owner who's actually a majority owner, but the rest of his this green carpet is populated by vanity frontmen. Derek Jeter just owns 4% of the Miami Marlins. Pat- Patrick Mahomes' stake in the Kansas City Royals is probably less than that of modern family actor Eric Stone Street. Jennifer Lopez, finally liberated from A-Rod, used to own a tiny part of the Miami Dolphins before her split with ex-husband Mark Anthony forced her, her to divest. Gloria Estefan, the Williams sisters, and fucking Fergie still have shares in the Finns, but no juice to prevent majority owner and Trump supporter Stephen Ross from doing as he pleases. There are others. Josh Harris owns the Sixers, but he made sure to add Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Kevin Hart to his masthead. Magic Johnson's ownership share of the hated Dodgers amounts to a piddly piddly shit 2.3%, and most notably Jay-Z's tiny .067 stake in the Nets is what allowed then- owner Bruce Ratner to get an arena built for them in Brooklyn. Jay-Z, who sold his ownership in 2013, essentially paid $1 million for a banner. These deals consecrate a a symbiotic relationship between a celebrity, the media, and a billionaire to be disgraced later. You You can understand why someone like Wade would want to buy into the jazz. If you're a retired player, you finally get a taste of being on the richer side of the equation, or at least the appearance of it. And that's important in a post-Kobe world where athletes are very serious about becoming business leaders after their playing days are over. Minority owners like Wade and Hill get a, get treated better, get more attention than regular-ass minority owners, many of whom are regarded as a necessary evil, if not worse. And while minority ownership isn't the real deal, at least, it, it is a foot in the door. Michael Jordan really does own the Charlotte Hornets. A-Rod really will own half of the T-Wolves. But the door isn't nearly as close to opening as it appears. In many cases, these feel like sweaty ruses to keep the door firmly shut. Jeter is now the face of one of baseball's most repulsive and everlasting teardown projects. The Marlins' majority owner, Bruce Sherman, has never uh, never has to get feces flung his way, the previous way Marlins owner and cuddly fraud Jerry, Jeffrey Loria used to, because Jeter is around to take all of the heat. Jeter is being used by Sherman specifically to draw the spotlight away from him. Same with Jay-Z and Ratner. Same with Hill and Wrestler. Same with Wade being used by Smith. Wade will now serve as the de facto press secretary for a team whose intentions are just as cynical as, as its peers in a league that has turned lip service to its own perverse art form. This brand of counterfeit representation with former players recruited to make ownership ranks look far more diverse and good-hearted than they actually are. Meanwhile, even supposedly hardened reporters like Woj playing right along with this horseshit because covering a celebrity owner makes for easy copy. Did you know Dwayne Wade owns the Jazz now, you guys? He's going to change the whole culture there. Everyone needs to come correct. They need to know the names of Ryan Smith and Bruce Sherman and Josh Harris. And the media needs to explain how those owners got their money and why they need famous buddies to chip in as a strategic diversion. Everyone needs to know that this is all public relations fraud and how it almost always works. Shaq says we to that. So <laughs> I think that does a really good job of talking about how, I mean, Again, like this is like, I'm sure like this is cool for Dwayne Wade. And as someone who's a fan of Dwayne Wade, it's cool having him around. But we cannot lie to ourselves about 
you know, the type of people like billionaires really are. Like you cannot accumulate that much wealth ethically. Ryan Smith is not an ethical person definitionally because of that. He might do things that are popular on a PR front, but there's no possible way for someone to be an ethical human being while having that much wealth. It just, it just can't be a thing. And again, like I said earlier, like, well, we will reap benefits from, from this ownership as, as jazz fans like this, we're likely to see, um, a more powerful Utah jazz, like within this league than we saw under the Millers. But that doesn't mean that like we shouldn't be critical of Ryan Smith, especially. And Dwayne Wade being brought in does not absolve Ryan Smith of, you know, and when we talk about Qualtrics, <laughs> but like, and there, and there was like a little bit of preview in there um, of like what that company actually does. So, and like, we can't sit here and lie to ourselves about like what this partnership is really going to achieve as well. Like, yeah, you're not, you're not changing Utah, dude. Like as, as noble of a cause that it is. And like, if Ryan Smith could actually really change the culture in Utah, I would be there shoulder to shoulder with him. Huge hats off. Congratulations. But like, again, let's not fucking kid ourselves. Yeah. The, the, the funny thing is if you actually go to Drew Maggery's like Twitter page and go to where the article is, you will just see nothing but just tweet after tweet from like pissed off jazz fans. Yeah. People because, are really mad at him for this. Oh, they were so mad. But the thing is, though, like if there's anyone who knows anything about this, it's Drew Maggery because he was one of the mm-hmm. people that was pretty much walked off the job at Deadspin because of what happened because of shit heels just like this. I mean, he's face up with like private equity the entire time. And like he went and formed his own media company with a bunch of his friends from his old company and gave everyone an equal stake. Like if you want to talk about who's more ethical in business between him and Ryan Smith, I'll take Drew Maggery any day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a tough question. And this isn't exactly a popular position. Like I wouldn't be surprised if people get mad at us. I mean, people have been getting mad at the two of you guys for wading into this discourse over the last few days. And I've kind of stayed a bit out of it because I, uh, um, actually work a damn job. Just kidding. Um, but I, you know, I, it's, it's really, this discussion is, is something that we just, we just need to keep an eye on this type of thing. And, I, I think it's important that like, you know, players, I I think there's something to be said that players and the organization itself feels more comfortable making statements that I agree with now than they did under the Millers. And I think that's a positive thing. I think that like Donovan, like I think Donovan in, in particular, but I know Donovan feels comfort, more comfortable speaking out against, you know, racial injustice now than he, than he did probably under, under the Millers. And I think that that's a positive thing and that's a positive outcome. But we cannot be hedging our bets on Dwayne Wade ownership being the catalyst for change in in attitudes in, in this state. Like that's not how any of this works. And that's that's like a weird form of tokenism where we're expecting like this black man to come in and change all these minds because he's like a very small minority owner. Like, I mean when we're talking about layers of wealth here, like Dwayne Wade's net worth versus Ryan Smith's network, like 
net worth we're not like these aren't these are barely able to be compared at all there's probably i probably have closer to the amount of money that Dwayne wade has than he has to what ryan smith has like that's 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 what we're talking about here um and you know he was a professional he was a he's a hall of fame basketball player so and 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 some uh, of the comments i saw too was just a lot of like uh oh you're saying that Dwayne wade this nba superstar doesn't have any sort of self-determination it's like, well, yeah, that's what the jazz think. Yeah, no, that's exactly. And, and this, I mean, I think he said it really well there where he, where it's like pretending like this is opening a door into sports, sports ownership, you know, for, for players like Dwayne Wade, when the reality is like, he would have to amass far more wealth in order to, in order to, to do that type of thing. Like Michael Jordan can do that because of the Jordan brand and not be like, not because he was a pro basketball player, but the Jordan brand is so strong that, that Michael Jordan and through other means has been able to amass a lot of wealth. Like Dwayne Wade's, I mean, I'm glad he's able to, to what, what feels like get his foot in the door, but like really we're talking about Brian Smith's in a whole different ball game when it comes to the amount of money that like, I mean, how much did he pay for the jazz? Three and a half billion, something like that. Oh yeah, it was something like three to four billion dollars or something it, like that. It's an insane amount of money. Like we're talking, like it, it's a whole new league. So yeah, it's not even a, it's not even a whole different ball game or a different league. It's a whole new fucking sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, I like I, I think that article is really good. And I mean, if people don't have to agree with the whole thing, but I think it's just important to keep in mind um, to be critical of expectations uh and i don't want people you know thinking that this is going to be some great catalyst for change when um it's not going to be that easy and i think a good example of how it's not going to be that easy is uh um we're going to come back to this in a sec as we talk about the Derek chauvin verdict that that also dropped yesterday um so this is the man who murdered george floyd on camera and was recorded murdering george floyd on camera and um we had a there was obviously a criminal trial for this for this cop and this is a cop who uh i believe had killed someone before it like years in years past almost killed someone else um but hadn't been convicted for it because of amy klobuchar actually (laughs) when she was the da um but anyway but now that like keith ellison is is the da um and he got him with three separate charges and then we had the trial and the verdict and he was found guilty on all three counts. And I um, don't remember the counts off the top of my head, but one of them's third degree murder. One of them's uh, um, like an unintentional murder. And I can't remember. And the other one is some kind of manslaughter. So he was he was uh, found guilty from all three. So obviously, you know, we were feeling very nauseous leading up to when they were reading this verdict out. Like I, you know, we've seen this go so many like go poorly so many times before, but I think we're at an unprecedented level of pressure in this country where, um, I'm not sure what really would have happened if he would have gotten off on, on these charges. I, I expected him to maybe get hit with one or two of the three. I did not expect him to get hit with all three. Um, so I think that there was certainly a wave of relief, uh, going, you know, that, that, that went over a lot of people. I also think though, that, um, you know, I think similarly to this, the Supreme Court not being willing to overturn the Trump, the Trump uh, Biden election, 
I think there are certain systems in this country that in order to, in order for, you know, uh, to survive, they have enough self-awareness that, um, pressure sometimes needs to be relieved. And I think, I think Donald Trump's election against Joe Biden, I think that was a good example of, I don't know if people would believe the Supreme Court as a, um, as a legitimate institution if they would have tried to overturn that election. And I think similarly with, with this, there obviously was a jury, you know, and I, I, I don't know how really this works, but, and I don't know how conscious it really is, but like, I don't know what could have possibly happened after this, if they would have not convicted Derek Chauvin of at least one of those charges, you know, does that, am I crazy for thinking that? No, not at all. I mean, if you think about it for a second, I mean, if you had a vast swath of people in this country start to think that laws and law enforcement were no longer legitimate and were pretty much just only used as like this personal, like, like ethnically cleansed, cleansing unit within this country, you would have chaos. Because no one would ever like have any sort of legitimacy for the government ever again at any level. Like local, right. state, federal, it doesn't doesn't matter. It's it's done. So this was definitely like a pressure release for for just that. I mean, you saw it, all the articles. He was like, "This is the first amount of relief I've had in years." Like nothing really changed. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Like, and, and and we saw this from brands too. Like we see the Oakland Raiders tweeting out, "I can breathe" and shit like <laughs> oh, that. God, we it was... have quite literally the most. I, I mean, we all know who Nancy Pelosi is, and we're not under any auspices about the type of person she is, but she did this fucking like press conference or press statement thing and with a front of a bunch of people where she thanked George Floyd for his sacrifice for justice. And she looked up to heaven and she did her fucking thing. And we should probably just put the audio. Oh, again. Thank you, George Floyd. Oh, again. Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice, for being there to call out to your mom. How, how heartbreaking was that? Call out for your mom. I can't breathe. But because of you and because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous. It is... It is just it is dude. so upsetting to listen to because just like I don't think he wanted to sacrifice himself. I mean, I understand that you kind of think that he's some sort of martyr, but I don't think he wanted to be a martyr. No. She she fucking thanked a man for dying. I, I for getting murdered. Yeah. Yeah. Like and like it's really to the point now to Nancy Pelosi. Like if she was a member of your family, you would sit her down and you would have the it's time to go to a home yes, talk. Dude, it she's, is she's yeah. off her fucking rocker. Yeah, it's I, it's definitely one of those discussions you gotta have after like Thanksgiving. It's like, hey, listen, um, it's not getting better. Yeah, I, and like don't they have staff to stop them from doing shit like this? Like, are they really all that out of, like even the staff, like they've got to know I've never like the, someone just tweeted a quote of what she said. And I've never seen a ratio like that in all of my life. And then the video was worse than the quote. Oh my God. I I mean, I mean the staff is really dependent on her for a job. So, I mean, they're probably propping her up as much as like Diane Feinstein staff is propping her up. 
Bro, I mean, someone who it, literally has no cognitive ability to remember one day to the next. Yeah. 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 We'll put the audio in there. But she says that thing when she was like, where she, she almost like was reflecting back on it as if it was like a TV show. Like, oh, that was heartbreaking, wasn't it? Or whatever. Like, she was like, oh, God. Anyway. So, yeah. So there are people who are already being like, okay, foot off the gas. Like, this is good. I, I can. You know, I can feel good about where things are at in this country because at least, you know, at least while uh, things are things are bad, at least things aren't that bad. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Axios reported today, too, that according to several sources within the congressional Democrats, this feels like that they can finally start taking some pressure off of like police reform bills that they had pushed. So yep. that's also the type of release you're seeing, too, is like you, there's a lot of the motivation and, and momentum that was behind a lot of police reform is dying out because of this too. You know, what's interesting also is that at that uh, almost the exact same time, the um, verdicts were announced. It also came out that uh, in Columbus, Ohio um, cops shot and killed a black 16 year old girl uh, named Micaiah Bryant. Um, and it's just like, I, yeah. So <sighs> yeah anyway greg take it and just just to this point too about everyone saying oh they can breathe and like justice was served and this and that just to like put things into perspective derek chauvin this was a, a tweet that was making the rounds yesterday um by jonah Furman. derek chauvin is the seventh on duty cop to be convicted of murder since 2005 out of around 15,000 police killings in that time. So we are talking about a fraction of 1% yeah. who actually see see justice or even or, or if it's even justice and I would say more it's see just, accountability. It's, it's and and I, I don't even know if it's accountability. I think it's more of like the repercussions of your actions like yeah. You kill yeah, the they're person. not taking account for what they did. No. There, there's no way they could really. Yeah, this is yeah, this these are consequences. This these yeah, this is it's not accountability. Accountability, right. it's not justice. No, you're right. It's nowhere near justice. I mean, you have a system in place that can almost assuredly kill with impunity. I mean, one of the sickest things I've probably ever seen in my life is that shooting in Mesa, Arizona by that cop who just oh, Jesus. straight up murdered a guy in the yeah. hallway. There's no way else to put it. Because yeah. he was giving conflicting orders and the guy was on the ground crying. He was just, he just didn't, he didn't pose a threat to anyone. Gunned him down anyway. Cop didn't face any consequences whatsoever and then got a pension for PTSD afterwards. You're yeah. telling me this fixes everything? Yeah. Does it fix it for that guy? Yeah. And, God. And, and like the killings are, 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 you know, one thing of itself, but like how many lives are ruined just by like the violence that didn't even end with the death, like Jacob Blake being a good example or that the like 13 year old autistic child in Utah who was shot like how many seven times by cops somehow managed to survive and was his life is like almost forever ruined because he's pretty much completely paralyzed. I still get like the GoFundMe updates from his mom posted on there and they just and he's. I don't, how many fucking months out from that are we? And this, like, they've ruined the life of this child. It's been almost a year. Yeah. Are, like, essentially bankrupting his family forever because they shot him this many times. And, like, like it's, 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 it's this insanely fucked up scale where we have this just 
plain murders on one end on camera all the way to cops breaking people's arms at protests and people posting their hospital bills because they had to go to the emergency room to get you know their fucking busted arm fixed up the night they got beat up at a protest by a cop so like the state is like these cops are coming down on people with violence and if you don't die you get injured and you have to you're you're paying out the ass for medical bills it's just just purely like the most distillation of of america but you know yeah so there's no there's no justice or accountability there there's simply a man being who's who's facing some consequences for for taking a, a life uh on camera that we even had to have this fucking trial but it, i mean speaking of which um there is a uh i mean i, I my 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 expectations for the right wing in this country all are the bar is in hell and they still manage to just just completely just fuck that up even um and they're there's a good chunk of them like you know ben shapiro tucker carlson are good examples who um i don't know about them in particular but like when this footage came out it was so fucking obvious that the cops just killed this guy because it was on camera and they killed they killed george floyd and it was on camera and they recorded the entire thing had his knee on his neck for nine minutes nine and a half minutes or whatever killed him Throughout all of the months since then, they've been attempting to craft all these different narratives that could potentially, you know, explain why he died or whatever, whether it was drugs in his system or whether it was pre, um, you know, his predisposed health conditions or whatever. It was the real reason he died um, to finally all of that was in preparation for the media blitz that they're doing right now in response to the verdict where now they're like some at first were saying it was, it was undeniable. It is undeniable. You watch that footage. It's fucking undeniable. That man would be alive if he were not killed by the cop. Like that's exactly what it is. And now we're so far past that. And they've had so much time to figure out what exactly their moves are going to be. And it, it, they're, they're going exactly with what, you know, I guess we would expect them to in any other circumstance. I don't know why I'm surprised. No, it's it's no matter what they do, and it's been what ten months, nine months since the since the murder happened. In that entire time, they were able to craft their own narrative around why this guy deserved to die, why George Floyd deserved to die. Well, he was a druggie. Uh, he actually had a heart defect. He had some sort of medical condition for him too. It wasn't the cop who was putting his entire body weight on his on his neck and upper back, which for 10 minutes, 10 minutes. No, no. Actually, it was his own fault he died. So that's why we can't hold anyone accountable for this. Uh, sorry, everybody. That's just the, that's just the breaks. It's America. Sorry. It's it, it really is incredible. And I mean, it's the same thing you saw with like the George Zimmerman trial. He was like, um, actually, Trayvon Martin is actually pretty big for a 17 year old. So that's why it was OK for this weird guy to track him down, chase him and then murder him. Yeah, that's America. We saw, we saw that with Mike Brown, too. Yeah, oh, like we, he he shoplifted or, you know, and oh, he was res resisting arrest and was fighting the cop as like. As if that's a justification for murder. And the fact of the matter is, like, even if you do something wrong, even if drugs are in your system, even if you did shoplift, even if you did uh, 
resist arrest. Those are not those aren't crimes that are punishable by execution, especially by the cop who. Exactly. Yeah, it's like you don't yeah. get to be judge, jury and executioner. Sorry, motherfucker. Yeah. There's even people who will defend like even like people who are supposed to be like put on a pedestal by this country, like that army first lieutenant who was uh, pepper sprayed and handcuffed outside of his own car for oh, just wanting Jesus. to stop in a gas station, which was lit in Virginia. Yeah, the one in Virginia. Virginia. Heaven I fucking mean, forbid. That was, that was one of the most absurd videos I've ever seen. Highly recommend people find that and watch it. The one where and, he's saying like the guy is admitting to being scared and the cops are looking at him and said, yeah, you should be. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Just fucking and, disgusting, man. And you expect people to respect the police after that? Like, <clears throat> how? How? Like, you don't show me anything worth respecting at this point. Yeah. Because it's the, the, the job of police officers is not to actually fight crime. It's to respond to crime. And if you actually want to prevent crime, then it's social, it's systemic, fund social programs, get rid of of this country that is completely based on rugged individualism that causes people to fall behind, get rid of the American caste system and actually give a shit about your citizens. If you really want people to live good, dignified lives and not have to scratch and scrape for everything they have. It's incredible that someone can look at how many fucking people we have incarcerated in this country and can still be like, yeah, the problem is, is the people like that's 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 the problem here. It's 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 horrifying that people have that can come to that conclusion. And that's like another thing. And this is on a, on a higher level, though, that I just can't at this point accept America having any sort of moral high ground. So, you know, like one of the big oh, things zero. right now is like uh you know, a free and fair Cuba and like pointing the finger at other other countries when it's like, have you seen what what fucking America is doing? And the fact that we have more people, not even on a per capita basis, but more people incarcerated in this country than any other country in America. And we have this laundry list of war crimes and 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 the gall to talk about other countries freedom when yes, when that as if and, and democracy as if this country is some sort of like like banister of what that can really look like. Yeah. The Cuba in particular, I like this is, this podcast is very in favor of, of the blowback podcast and season two is about Cuba, but, and I, it was either Noah or Brendan brought up a good point where they were like, I mean, look at these countries responses, look at Cuba's response to the pandemic and look at the, at the United States response to the pandemic, which country was acting in the best interest of their citizens health. Like which one? The one, the one that's trying to privatize the patents for the vaccine. Yeah. Or Cuba the- developed their own fucking pat or their own vaccines yes. despite the embargo and everything. Yeah, it, it's it's insane. And and to think that like, um, you know, yeah, that we have any sort of talk about freedom or anything like that, and, and the carceral state in particular. Yeah, and this all goes back fifty years too. I mean, look at like say, like they. We talk about Cuba and say like, well, there's political prisoners there too. It's like, well, look at what the roots of the war on drugs were. John Ehrlichman, who was like Nick, one of Nixon's like top aides, said on his deathbed too, was like, oh yeah, we started the war on drugs to go after black militants and hippies just because like that was the base of our of our opposition. How are those not any different from political prisoners? 
They're, yeah. Yeah, they're not like, yeah, especially now when like you see marijuana becoming legal in more and more states and you're seeing, I don't know, like fucking white hippie soccer moms making six figures. Making artisanal weed. Yeah, selling yeah, selling medicinal marijuana while I don't know how many thousands of black and brown people are sitting in prison for still for I don't know for like possession of like an eighth of weed. Yeah, and every day that goes by that Joe Biden doesn't uh, change that is I mean he that's something he could do with executive order. So um yeah. So yeah, so I mean, the right wing response to this has been more cynical than I was really expecting. But um, I, 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 but we want to talk about the the local reaction as well because um, today I think it, it's worth mentioning that the um, I think it was yeah I, th- I think either today or I, or I think it might have been yesterday, the day of the announcement of the verdict, the, the Utah Jazz posted on Facebook and Instagram, like on their social channels, talking about how they were, you know, pleased with the result of this trial. Because, I mean, of course, like this, you know, this man's murder was on the forefront of uh, like almost everyone's mind throughout the entire, you know, the bubble in the pan, like during the pandemic and everything. And is, you know, clearly has been you know, uh, extremely well publicized. And so they clearly posted about it because it was important. Um, and on Facebook in particular, they just received the most just stereotypical Utah white person reaction to to them posting about this. Anywhere from, you know, I don't want po- sports talking about politics to straight up saying he deserved to die like that. That was the spectrum. You had anyone in there like you had the classics. Oh, if he had just complied again. If you watch the video, you know, this man was uh, on the ground with a knee in the back of his head. There was no non-complying there. But if he had just complied, he would be alive or this man, you know, had a drug problem or blah, 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 blah. Just everything was you had the whole gamut on there. And I I know none of us are surprised at this point, but it's just like when we're at a point where there is video footage of this murder and there are still people talking like this and behaving like this and saying this to, you know, the Utah jazz on Facebook or whatever. That's not something that Dwayne Wade's going to come in here and fix. That's not something that can be just undone because we have a new black owner who I'm happy we have, to be honest. I'm glad he's here. I hope that doesn't, you know, I, I don't think we should clearly forget about the, about what Ryan Smith is, but like that doesn't, that doesn't go away easily. And I, I don't know what to do when you have a chunk of the population who can watch a video and come to that conclusion. Still, I honestly don't fucking know. Like the fact that we all saw a murder video and all of us were like texting each other yesterday about how we were sick to our stomach about what the verdict may be like proves just how awful a state this country is in Yeah, that like, yeah, that that there is evidence clear as day, and yet, like a lot of a lot of people, including myself, thought that he that that Chauvin was going to walk. And I think it's also kind of important to put a note on that too. It wasn't just a murder; it was torture. Oh yeah, 
like this wasn't just like a shoot or something like that like in like most police videos where you shoot them and it's over in five seconds no this was systematic this was calculated this was done at any point in that 10 minutes he could have stopped and he didn't he didn't he tortured him to death in front of cameras in front of people didn't matter he thought that he was god on earth and nothing could stop him yeah yeah and i mean (laughs) and going along with the local response uh um this fucking clown todd weiler out of like he's a a state representative or whatever just decided he was gonna just ask some questions about the murder although the video was horrific these are some questions for the jury why was he saying he couldn't breath before he got out of his car was chauvin kneeling on floyd's neck or his shoulder did floyd have enough drugs in his system to kill him and just again you're making excuses excuses for a man being murdered also, and, I think the proper response to someone saying they can't breathe is not to put a knee on their neck. I mean, even if they are in like medical distress, like putting more medical distress on them too is not going to like help them at all. Like what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, like you're not going to you're not going to cure your leukemia by shooting yourself up with cancer cells. Exactly. And like I mean, Todd's one of these fucking clowns who is, quote, just asking questions or whatever. But like Robert Gerke, he replied and said, you don't think one of the questions is if George Floyd was prone, handcuffed and not moving or resisting, what purpose was there to continue kneeling on his back other than to harm him? In my mind, that's the only question the defense hasn't provided an answer. And Todd said, I think that's also one of the questions slash issues that the jury has to weigh. Just wasn't worth mentioning in in his original tweet. Um but also, Jordan decided to do us the favor of going back, looking through his tweets about Trayvon Martin. And it's just, I mean, there's nothing. I don't even want to read him out loud. There's no, I, like, you can already imagine just like what he said. Like, these, all these fucking guys are the exact same as just asking the, just asking the questions or whatever that just happen to be just veiled in, in, I believe these black people should be dying or like there, there's justification for killing them. And it's, um, and and that's that's just incredibly disgusting. But also what disgusts me so much is someone like Spencer Cox, who pretends to be such an incredible ally to all these causes. But then the fucking second this thing happens and this comes out, he's just fucking gone. He's hidden. And he's completely he won't even tweet. He won't even tweet about the jazz right now because he's just so scared to say anything. And it's so cowardly and embarrassing. And I can't remember what that tweet was that we dug up from him back in like 2016. I, do you guys have it handy? Oh, hold on no. a second. I'll find it for you. That was, yeah, but something um, about oh, actually, an amazing I, one. I, I just found it. So he tweeted this July 8th, 2016. And he said, good morning, America. Please, please avoid picking a side today. Let's be for the black men and brave officers. Let's be against senseless death. It's not how this works, you stupid fuck. Yeah, and like the one tweet he like liked that whole day during uh during like the during the reading of the uh of the uh verdict was pretty much just this one that just says today is showing a, cl- a casing a prime example of how we don't talk to each other. We'd rather assume talk past a ratio. Thanks to you good folks out there who can discuss, disagree and be open on all topics. Like what's to discuss here? Whether or not yeah. the police should be allowed to murder with impunity or not? Like that's the only discussion here. And if you can't understand that like 
there is not two equal sides to this issue, then you're fucking useless. <sighs> yeah. It's just like you just get a bunch of people who just like it's like debate nerds who have just are just running rampant. Yeah. And people who have convinced Every, themselves that there's two sides to every to issue, everything. that we have yeah. to concede ground on transphobia. We have to concede ground on like on this type of shit. Like you can it's so fucking easy to be against the police murdering people. Like it really is. It's I promise it's a very easy position to take, especially when there's video of them murdering him. Like there is no there's no like if you if you pl- pride yourself on being the type of like reasonable Republican or compassionate conservative that cares about these type of things in the way that he claims to care about them and then hides at like a a moment like this when you know he could actually be someone who could theoretically you know talk to the base i don't know how successful that would be at this point because of how cowardly this has just gone on but by so many people for so long but then he just disappears and he's just liking tweets about how we wish we could all be between the two sides the two sides in this are someone being murdered and then someone murdering someone and i think i uh know whose side i'm on in that situation it's just it's it's, just uh, it's yeah it just shows the empty premise of what like spencer cox civility is yeah because their premise of their of civility to them is that we can have a good hard debate on all the issues and at the end of the day we're still friends well yeah tell that to george floyd yeah. Like what mm-hmm. debate is there to be had to when a cop puts his knee on your neck for 10 minutes and kills you? Like tell that to half a million Iraqis. Tell that yeah. to people all across the world. Tell that to people who don't have a place to live tonight. Tell that to people who don't have who have don't have food in their stomach. There's no fucking debate. There's none. It's it's either you're acknowledging like object reality or you're not. That's it. Yeah. And, and they've, they've, yeah, they've convinced themselves that there's this debate is so sacrosanct that like there's something inherently noble on on being weighing on to to weigh the options of quote both sides of of all issues. I, I don't know how you weigh. I don't know what that debate is about. Ch- you know, child hunger, homelessness, the healthcare system in this country, or just straight up state violence where the cops are murdering people. Like I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> like what you're debating in your brain it's really easy to be against it against that shit but well you just don't understand civility kyle i'm sorry yeah, i think i think that's just because i yeah because you have darkness told, in your heart it's because i've got a dark dark heart yeah I it's, like it, that. it's just it's just incredible it, it really is there's yeah. nothing you can really say about it i mean it just makes you sad to think about because like all these people who come out and say like well you know I just wish we could get along a whole lot better in politics. It's like, all right, that's fine. But when you're actually faced with like tragedy and horrid and horrid nature of the system and you just shut it down by saying like, um, you have to come at me nice because yeah. otherwise I, I just can't deal with it. You're not a serious player. You don't care. Yep. And that brings us to our incredibly long and final topic, Ben McAdams in the third way. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> that is for we another spend, day. We spend another hour talking about Ben McAdams believing in the third way still in fucking 2021. If I talk another uh, hour about Ben McAdams, I'm going to break something and I might just like, I don't know, drive a car off a cliff. I don't know. I, I don't think I could take that right now. Me neither. And man, it, it 
it's so shitty. Like, I, I don't want to like keep focusing on like, you know, things that, that bum us out. But like, this is something that, you know, I, I, I talked, I, I tweeted today about how, like, as we learned in, you know, uh, the, the episode we did, uh, you know, with, with Joe on his podcast and this recent one with, uh, that Jordan led us through about BYU is like Utah at the time was, I mean, it was a state, it was a territory, but I mean, it was a slave state and we had slaves in this state. And there's so many people in this, in this state in particular that are unwilling to look at the history and, uh, are genuinely thinking that like, that there's no historical context to anything that we see today, that any, you know, that the idea of this individualism is seeped into our consciousness so deeply that like you know people kids from disadvantaged backgrounds who are you know people of color aren't aren't deserving of of free college because uh why is a white kid not deserving of it too and and like just that lack of of being willing to like look at any external factors beyond oneself and thinking that everything that ever existed in anyone's life is just a series of individual decisions um, and not these greater systems that we exist in is just, um, it's very pervasive and it makes me, it makes me really fucking sad. And I think that, uh, yeah. And, and, and it, that's, it's pervasive into people's, into how they view, you know, police violence and everything else. Like I, I'm constantly reminded of that, of how much people think this way and that everything is just simply these individual decisions, just devoid of, of greater context. And I, um, yeah, and I think Utah is a great example of people pretending or trying to ignore that greater context here because we're literally, you know, living on the, like, mass grave sites of, of Native Americans who lived here. So, anyway, cheery <laughs> shit. But goddamn, I'm just sick of, I'm sick of uh, jazz fans on Twitter, man. I don't, I, uh, that's... I, 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 it worries me that there's, you know, that this shit is just out there and getting, it feels like it's getting worse too. I've told myself um, if either Vegas or the Sonics come back or get a team or something, I'm switching teams. I don't think I could stay <laughs> a jazz fan forever. I think I would lose my mind. I'm getting really close to being a lifelong Memphis Grizzlies fan. I got a nice Grizzlies shirt. The, it's nice. That I love team that rules, bear. man. John Morant came into the league and instantly was a top five cool player there. And like, there are only like, I don't know, like 10 actually cool guys in the NBA, but John Morant is definitely one of them. You yeah. tried to make a fuck 12 Jersey. Of course, John Morant is awesome. <laughs> yeah. It, so, and something that came up, the thing I'll end on is like, you know, like our journalists pointed out, like some of these responses in those Facebook replies, Andy and Tony in particular were, we're talking about them. Tony commented in there himself, you know, being a black man and seeing all those comments about George Floyd. It was it's a pretty uncomfortable situation. And he talked about how, you know, how he wonders what people say like behind his back, uh, about him and his kids. And how could you not being um such a vast minority here in Utah? But um Something that is always brought up is like, you know, the brand of racism here in particular is really uh, something that they that they go to very frequently is it's worse in other places or like other fan bases are racist too. like, oh, if you go if you go look at this team's comments like, oh, you'll see racism there, you'll see racism here and being completely unwilling to confront like those around us. And so like 
you know, if at some point I decide I'm not a jazz fan, like that's that's immaterial to like the fact that we are surrounded by these people like <laughs> living here. And I think it's on all of us to like when we see if if we do. I mean, I don't I don't think I have friends in my life that would that would talk like this at this point, but to call people out on their bullshit because um, it's festering and it feels like it's growing. So like, anyway, to just to like the festering point too, it's like saying that other people places are racist is it's like saying like i only have hiv this guy has full-blown aids yeah like two things can be bad at the same time and like racism does not exist on a fucking binary you fucking twerps yeah and i mean honestly like i've been other places in this country like i've never heard the n-word used at other places i've been I have heard it in Salt Lake, though. I have heard it at jazz games. I have heard it at BYU games. I have heard it at Utah games. Like it doesn't, like it doesn't make me feel good or anything like that to yeah. like have this sort of like satisfaction and knowing like we are actually a racist place. It's, no, it's like it makes me really sad. It's just, yeah. it's because, just, it's a deflection tactic to ignore the root cause. Yeah, because you can point yeah. to countless players who've come to Salt Lake. Like, yeah, they yelled the N word at me sucked hate that yeah. place don't want to go back yep and then just be like want to play there and then be like well yeah those seven players may have said that but you know there's like i don't know 200 players in the league what about them yeah yeah 100 percent. shit sucks it really does yeah and like <laughs> you know I, I tweet about how utah was a slave state or whatever and people are you know there's a lot of people who are like you know don't just you can't shame the past. Like it's focus on like changing, you know, things moving forward. It's like, we can't even accept the fucking past. Like we haven't even people, you know, the only people that got, um, you know, uh, restitution for slavery really were the slave owners and not the slaves themselves. Like, like that's, that's, that's how this, this, how, that's how this country handled it. Like reconstruction ended up being a fucking disaster. So, um, yeah, so we cannot move forward without actually fully understanding the past and the context to lead us to where we are now. We cannot pretend like history doesn't exist and that there's no greater context to influence how things are now. And that's everything from literal slavery to redlining in the Salt Lake Valley. Like these things cannot be ignored. And uh, outcomes are very, um, the outcomes are very uh, dependent on these type of things. But anyway. I think that's a good place for us to end tonight, boys. Any 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 parting words? I, got I feel like shit, <laughs> <laughs> Greg. Um, since you know this is this is the number one accountability podcast. Um, there's there's another tweet that I uh, I saw by this guy J Lies J A I underscore L I E S Lies. Um, uh, and it kind of struck me and it's, it's just says politicians are calling the verdict justice so they don't have to do anything, which it, yep. it's just, it's just perfect. Um, and it's up to us to hold people, hold people's feet to the flame, um, to call out bullshit because it's a hell of a lot easier to send a tweet or to look and smile in a camera and say justice is served than to actually, uh, create any sort of systemic change or address the uh, root cause of police violence in America.
Couldn't agree more. All right, y'all. Thank you for joining us, and uh, good night. Choose the left. That's right. Just cause you don't know